How's it going, everybody? This is Andy McCullough from The Athletic here with Pedro Mora. Also from The Athletic, you are listening to Describe the Summer, the baseball show about the Los Angeles Dodgers here on The Athletic. Pedro, how's it going, man? Hey, Andy. It's uh, it's going pretty well. It's a beautiful day in L.A. How are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. You know, could be worse. Uh, definitely our takes that uh, the lengthy suspension on Joe Kelly would prevent the Astros from dealing with fracases uh very those held up really well huh whoa, 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 whoa. your takes maybe <laughs> my take was that it was done to, to prevent that day that yeah, wednesday no, game know. from reacting and also i don't i don't think either of us expected uh you know an astros coach to to play the role <laughs> of instigator can you recall like a coach doing something like that in a i mean like the problem with it obviously right is that it's in the context of covid when this is like really really discouraged but even in like a regular season have you seen a coach just like behave like that before no no i've i've seen coaches you know fight much more than i would have expected during a brawl but not instigating it you know what sticks out in my memory basically forever in this in this category of baseball brawls is my first year covering baseball the diamondbacks Mm -hmm. dodgers brawl in 2013 where where mark mcguire had matt williams pinned by the um by the neck and it you know there was a non-zero chance that he might die in that moment Sorry, Alan Trammell, not yeah, okay. and uh, and uh, and then JP Howell was was kicking someone's ass, and I asked JP Howell afterward, uh, "Do you know who you were doing?" Oh yeah, it was Turner Ward. Yeah, sorry, Turner Ward. And, yeah, uh, and uh, I asked JP, uh, I, and I and he was this is my first year, and he was the nicest guy on the team, and I was like most friendly with reporters, I should say. And I asked JP, do you know who you were hitting? And he said, no, man, who fucking, you know, I don't care. I would have done that to my mom if she was on the other side. And I was just like, yeah, I like this baseball. Wow. And, uh, and of course, you know, it's more complicated than that. Fighting is not good, but, um, it was, uh, it was wild. And the, co- the coaches were probably, other than Yasiel Puig, were the biggest parts of that fight. Right. They were. Yeah. Wasn't someone screaming, where is so-and-so? Like yeah. one coach was screaming. I forget who was who, but anyway. So McGuire was the, was the wildest part. And it, I think it was Tra- it was Trammell and Matt Williams yeah, that he was fighting with. Somebody else was screaming. It was it was a wild day, man. Was McGuire the one screaming? Where is so and so? Like he was specifically trying to find a certain so one guy from the '90s was very much trying to find another guy from the '90s. <laughs> is what I recall about that. About I think that that's part. a little unfair to Mark McGuire. He was he was he's more than a one decade man. Okay, I mean one guy from the late '80s and the '90s. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I pulled up the story I wrote about uh, when uh, J.P. Howell yeah, like yeah. burying yeah. the hatchet with Turner Ward, and <laughs> J.P. Howell said, uh, "I'm like, hey." I'm hoping you don't want a rematch because I think if we were one on one, he's a big boy. I miss JP. <laughs> what a treat! Yeah. Uh, hey, so uh, the Dodgers kind of took care of business this weekend with the Giants. Uh, I don't think anything too uh, surprising there. Did we make too much out of Clayton Kershaw's first start, or uh, wh- what was your reaction? I guess to the second start where the dingers were back yeah we might have made too much that that has occurred to me that thought um but the uh the stuff was there so it's it's i'm not i'm not totally retracting it yet 
you know, pitchers suffer with command. It is kind of it was a bit of a weird outing for him, not something he's done a lot in his career against mm-hmm. a, a pretty lackluster lineup. But uh, mm-hmm. but it's he was still hitting ninety three. It's not yeah. It's not a huge issue. Let's see where the next couple starts go. Right. If he's holding the velocity, I'm still going to bet on the under on a three ERA from him mm-hmm. this year. That seems reasonable. Yeah, I mean, this stuff is this stuff is kind of what matters less than the results, especially in this just bizarre sort of uh, scenario right now, at the very least. Uh, Mookie Betts is healthy and back in the lineup. Yeah, Mookie Betts is banging that ball, man. <laughs> it, like, wow. Every ball is hard, very hard. Seven, seven straight extra base hits. You know, hit a home run after he hurt his finger, came back and immediately hit more extra base hits. The rest of the lineup has really not caught on at all. You know, Max Muncy's been dealing with a finger issue that he uh, revealed is the result of a, of a break more than the bruise that the team portrayed it as in, uh, in summer camp. And Justin Turner still hasn't really hit for much power. But Mookie Betts, when he's in the lineup, is hitting wonderfully. Absolutely wonderfully. What is the level of concern with Corey Seager? Hard to say. You know, it's it's... It's hard to say. Seager has a remarkable track record of, of sustaining injuries when he is on the rise, when yes. he, when it seems like his, his hitting is really reaching its mm-hmm. its peak or a sustained plateau. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, yeah, you wonder if this is going to be the same thing. It, it's it's really hard to, di- to, to detect how serious these injuries are when we're so, you know, when we're removed from the, the clubhouse and you can't even, you know, you can, you can sort of glean a lot when you're in the room and just you see the player walk by you, you know, mm-hmm. right. in terms of you get to understand, oh, okay, this is, this is how serious it is. Like, right. does he need crutches? Does he need, right. you know, is he limping? Is, Right. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to overstate that, but like, I feel like I've often gotten a sense. Corey's like a physically expressive mm-hmm. young man, I would say. <laughs> like, he kind of you can tell where his body's at sometimes. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. Based on mm-hmm. the fact that they haven't put him on the IL yet, it does not seem like it's something that's going right. to keep him out for months. Um, mm-hmm. That said, would it, you know, could it, mm-hmm. could it diminish his performance for a couple of weeks easily? You know. So I, I don't know between mm-hmm. those two where it might end up. Would you be more concerned with his health or Cody Bellinger's bat? <sighs> That's a good question. Probably his health, honestly. Uh, Bellinger is not okay. striking out an enormous amount. I think he is going to be okay. When I took the over on his 1,000 OPS when we did this podcast a few months ago, that was a dumb thing. That was probably the dumbest thing I've said on this podcast so far, um, just because the chances of that were so slim with with the pitching advantage in this in this season. Um, but I expect him to be, you know, above yeah. 800 come come whenever the season is, is yeah. over. He's But 10 strikeouts and 70 plate appearances, that's just, you know, you... you when you have power, when you when you have the threat of power, and you're not striking right. out that that when you're striking out that rarely, you're going to do better in in the major leagues. That's probably the underlying statistic that gives you the most confidence moving forward because the the slash line's kind of grim right now. I mean, it's ugly. I know yeah. it's only 15 games, but like that's a quarter of the baseball <laughs> season. So, um, you know, you like, I don't know. It's uh, it's it's a weird one for sure. Yes, it is. The body language is also not great. Uh, he looks frustrated at, yeah. at significant on significant occasions. Right. Dave Roberts pulled him out of a gave him a day of rest after one of those after probably mm-hmm. the worst of that body language in, in one day. Um mm-hmm. and he had all run the next night. Yeah. I think if this was April thirteenth, right, and I don't think we'd be talking about right. it really as much. So I'm trying to it's it's weird. I know. But I know. because you're right that it does have more significance, but we also have to understand that this game is is not built for fifteen game evaluation. Yeah. Well, I think we both, I think you and I are pretty similar in that we don't really start taking the statistics all that seriously until a relatively sizable chunk of the season has passed, you know, like at at the very least, like sometime in 
May for me, I feel like, I mean, I, I don't know, hope there's probably documented evidence of me completely contradicting this point. Um, but I, I feel like if someone asked me, when do I start seriously looking at stats, it would be like maybe the middle of May, June type of thing. Um, and it's just so weird that you kind of have to be like, wow, like kind of a big series coming up this weekend against the Padres, right? (laughs) Because like it is, you know, it is like, it actually is like they're, you know, they're already in something of a, you know, a, a neck and neck battle with the Rockies who apparently, you know, will never give up a run again. So it's, uh, it's just, it's just, you know, it, like, I wonder, ha- sorry, I, I, I know you uh, wanted to jump in. I just, uh, yeah, jump in and then I have a question for you. No, I don't, I don't, I mean, I, I'm happy to listen to you, Andy. I, get, I was just going to point out that my, my general <laughs> barometer is for whenever Mike Trout is leading the, the sport in war. That's when I start to take right. stats seriously. That's when, that's when the sport is normalized. Yeah. So it'll come soon, that's probably fine. in a couple weeks. Yeah. yeah. But he well, might well, have some competition Fernando with Tatis. Tatis has anything yeah. to say about yes. that. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, it's. It's Tatis Day, as uh, ESPN did a big feature on Jeff Passan's hand. Um, so, do you wonder if they're like, if the sort of sprint version of the season and the way that um, the sample size is shortened so much? You know how they like guys talk about how they hate like looking up at yeah. the mm-hmm. screen and it says you're mm-hmm. batting two hundred or something like that. Do you have, have any players kind of like spoken to that about how that sort of looms larger in this current setting? Bellinger has a little bit, and I think in the past it's affected him too. I, I, I don't think it would be a stretch to say that the fact that he had a great April last year helped him because it insulated him against sure. no, his numbers never looked bad the rest of the year, even though his, you know, it, it was a steady decline. Every month was worse. I mean, the, granted, the worst month was still right. like a 850 OPS. But it looked right. if you had just inverted the months, you know, it, it's a different looking season in terms of how it looks like right. when he sees the jumbotron, right? So I think that yes, we we will never be able to measure that impact, but I think it's fair to say that with young men uh, who you know receive constant feedback on how they're doing, uh, it that has an influence absolutely. Let's pause to tell you about Manscaped, fellas. Are you prepared to unveil your summer bod? The beaches are opening, the sun is shining, and the bushes must be tamed. Manscaped is here to ensure your formulations to round out your manscaping routine. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC. And the Shed Travel Bag, $39 value and... The patented high-performance anti-shaping Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code ATHLETIC20. Like, I feel so silly looking, you know, uh, just like looking at Bellinger's slash line and being like, ooh, it's pretty rough. And it's like, yeah, he's had a bad two weeks. Like, you know, it, it, it happens, but there's only like you know, so many weeks left in the season. Yeah, I've watched, you know, a lot of these at-bats, and I guess the more concerning part to me is not uh, is not the slash line itself, but the lack of dri- driven balls. There's just He just has not been right. really banging ball after ball. Like, Bar- yeah, like barreling? Just, it hasn't really happened whatsoever. So a lot of the – he's putting the ball into play, but a lot of them are, are not uh, well struck, and that's the biggest problem. That's the reason right. to be concerned. And that's weird for a guy with his sort of – 
power. It is. It is. I think. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a, a swing expert, um, I, but it, clearly he's not. You know, the, the things are not in sync. I, I know that. I, I know enough to say mm-hmm. that that he is not striking the ball. Maybe preparing himself to strike the ball the same way he did uh, a year ago. Walker Bueller made his third start of the year on Sunday. He looked more like Walker Bueller, only threw 87 pitches, but struck out six guys in five and two-thirds, you know, did have four walks. Uh, but what was your takeaways from his outing yesterday? He looked better. He looked better, and he is now ready to go to a full start, you know, 100 pitches the next time out. It's been slow going, and there still hasn't been one dominant outing, you know, to issue four leadoff walks and set yourself up to be constantly under stress against the lineup like that is, is not ideal whatsoever. But he has started off poorly in years past, in last year specifically, and, um, right. and rebounded just fine. I don't think it's anything to concern about with any significance. The, the, the stuff is there. He's throwing... He's throwing uh, reasonably hard, and I think it seems like nobody is saying this, but it seems like he is taking it as somewhat of a ramp up still, and he has uh, he has been, and now I think maybe the next two or three starts I'll, I'll read more into. We got to figure out what he was doing during the break. I think here's maybe a guess. Pitchers generally understand that that there's a certain that there's a finite amount of throws in, in their arms. Yeah. If you don't know when the season is happening and you've already had Tommy John and mm-hmm. you think eventually one day you might have to have another. Right. And you, you think that you can ramp up somewhat quickly when you find out and not really miss much. I mean, because at, at this point the team has lost 5 innings from him. Um, and maybe some sharpness, right. like right. and maybe four innings, like not right. that much. And if you save yourself, you know, a month of throwing with that, I, I don't know. Seems sensible to me. Well, especially too. I mean, think about all the guys who've already like yeah. blown out, you know. And especially if you're a young guy who hasn't gotten paid yet, yeah. I mean, I guess it, uh, I guess it makes some sense. Like, why would you just keep throwing, you know, every day if like, you know, you're risking like he he is risking more than uh, Justin Berlander is mm-hmm. this year, mm-hmm. you know. Um, So, yeah, that makes sense. All right. Let's pause for a quick word from Indochino. See, this is why we do this podcast. I learned. Yeah, and and to be fair, he has not said that specifically. He has said he took some time off. He he just said that that's what he wanted to do. Um, But it it seems sensible to me. Well, it's also sensible for the Dodgers because they want him healthy in 2021 and for the duration of his time with the organization. Yes, exactly. You know, like they, want they have a lot invested in the next four years, five years of his career. Yeah. And he has been they have messed with his service time at various intervals. And he has always, you know, not uh, complained about that. So I think he earns himself, you know, like the organization doesn't really have the leg to stand on to be upset, especially given the talent gap between uh, the Dodgers and the rest of the division. You shouldn't be forcing this guy to be in a position where he has to be able to max out on opening day. Yep, I'm with you. You know, he's thrown 14 and third innings through three starts. It's, uh, the it Dodgers are doing fine and they're fully in position to make the playoffs. I don't see any issue with it. It would be funny if the Dodgers were like the seven seed. That would be weird. So we get the Padres again. Dodgers-Padres, that should be kind of fun. It's a new little, uh, it's a budding rivalry, would you say? That seems fair. Or not? Yeah, that seems fair. Uh, it's at least entertaining because the Padres, as, as you talked about before, they have some guys. Yeah, they do. You know what? You know what occurred to me uh, the day after we recorded the last podcast where we talked about the Padres is I was talking about the first four or five men in their lineup, and I re- referenced their first baseman, uh, Jake Cronenworth. And you know who yes. I forgot was your guy, Big Hoss. Yeah, <laughs> just fell off the face of the earth in my estimation. 
Yeah. While he didn't in real life, he's uh, you know he's back, yeah. I believe, and uh, he's been hitting well this year. In what, like eleven plate appearances? Uh, fourteen at bats, <laughs> uh, one home run, three fifty seven, four thirty eight, seven fourteen. I mean, it, I mean that's Bonzian, baby. Yeah, he might actually get his OPS plus as a Padre to league average. Wow, I don't know. No, it's I, still ninety eight. Yeah. 733 OPS is a Padre. I think Eric Hosmer is a winning player. I, I genuinely believe that. I think he's proven that in his career, but I do think his he is more prone than elite hitters to slumps based on the performance of those around him. Uh, but I think on a winning team, he is a player you want in the field and in your life. We probably don't agree on that. <laughs> Yes, that's I. I don't disagree with that. My my problem yeah. is with the money he's being paid. He's being paid to be a winning, the second or third best player on a winning team. Yeah, and he's more like yeah. the sixth. So it's it's a problem. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's just his swing never adapted to modern baseball. Corey Seager's like this a little bit, you know, like in the pre juice ball era. The idea of a shortstop who OPS eight hundred and could hit like fifteen homers to twenty homers was like a huge asset you know if you're coming out of that like 2012 to 2015 kind of dead ball-y type era that uh you know when Seager was coming up and that was kind of the era too when Hosmer played where like a plus fielding first baseman who was OPSing somewhere from like 800 like 750 to 800 was a pretty useful player even if it's obviously you know, it's not Paul Goldschmidt but it's still a good player you like having on your team suddenly a 750 OPS first baseman in 2019 is uh you know subreplay so uh yeah yeah I mean, your point I think, your point is overall yeah. correct but but the issue is that Corey Seager still even the way he's hit the last couple of years still hit much better than Eric Hosmer that's the that's yeah I mean he's a better right. hitter yeah. I I guess what I'm saying though is like there was a thought in 2016 that Seager was like a top five player in the sport you know he finished third in the MVP it was the idea that he would be around every year as an MVP type and just his skill set was not exactly one that people could you could take advantage of with the juice ball you know he was a guy who was always going to have like double sort of power with the way his swing was set up uh so that's all i think seager is still you know a better player it was just that you know his value took a hit based on how the sport changed this is just my theory i don't really talk to people in baseball anymore i just come up with stuff and decide if it's right and then forget i said it yeah, I don't know. I'll never forget, man. So yeah, you're <laughs> you're like politifact for me. <laughs> I got a record of all the all the crazy. Claims. I know. Oh, so boy, so here's really the thing with Seager, man. He's 26 years old. What kind of odds will you give me that he puts up a top five season in the sport in the next five years? Because I think it's pretty. I think there's a good chance he can oh, hit for sure. Yeah. Well, he he can really hit, and also the way with they mess the way. That they mess with the baseball, they could deaden it up again, and all of a sudden he's an MVP. Like you know, and because he's hitting maybe twenty five homers, and and you know, a guy, and there's no one hitting forty five. There's not seven guys hitting. Yeah, I think it was like there was some stat like last year. I want to I want to say like fifty guys hit thirty homers or more or something something insane like that. Yeah, I, multiple I, players I I've never heard of hit twenty five home runs. So. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, it, it's it's the Phil Hughes joke about you know uh, if Gardy's going oppo that you know the baseball's got some problems. Brett Gardner, um, good player though. He is a very good player. That it's just he's not supposed to be hitting opposite field home runs. So yes, I I would not bet against Corey Seager. You know, finishing top five in an MVP race again. I think he's an awesome baseball player. 
But I'm just saying that he's not seen in the same category as like Christian Yelich and Mookie Betts and, you know, even Cody Bellinger, Bellinger yeah. you know, as like, who's a guy who's a contender for the second best player in baseball, you know? Yeah. That's all. Yeah. So if I gave you, um, if I, if, if I gave you Seeger and 30 points of OPS over the next three seasons against Bellinger, who would you take? Hmm. Wow. That's a good question. So, so Bellinger is probably, can I look at Seeger's stats real quick? Can, yeah. can I, can I, yeah. yeah, this is a good podcast. So, uh, I get Seeger with a 30 point cushion. Yeah. Yeah. I would take that. Wow. Yeah. Because I think they're actually pretty similar. I think they're both somewhere in the 850 to 900 range. I think you can find a lot of people who are willing to take the other side on that. But, um, I probably would lean towards yours. I mean, you know, the gap last year was, was, was like what, three, 250? So. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But like, again, mm-hmm. Seeger continues to have. You know, like disappointing seasons where he OPSs, you know, eight something, plays quality defense and shorts. I'm wrong. Apples and oranging it. I think his like mediocre seasons are still really good. Yes. Uh, and it's also worthwhile to remember that last year he was coming off like multiple major, major surgeries. surgeries. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like yeah. where like you know he had like a just he just would like he had a big uh, he had Tommy John and a hip procedure. You know, and still hit 272, 335, 483, led the sport in doubles. Like, good player. Very good player. 19 homers. I would probably bet on Seager long term with that 30-point cushion. I would feel pretty comfortable with that. Cool. That's fun. It's a close one. Yeah. All right. Well, we will be back uh, later this week. We'll have the wrap-up of this series with Padres, which should be fun. Thank you for listening, and we will get back with you later in the week. Bye, everybody.